We got the truth. Yeah, we do. We got the truth. We got the truth. A small business. We got the truth. We got the truth. We got the big truths of small business. Sponsored by Yes I Rent. Yes I Rent. Yes I Rent. Property management. Place good tents and collect your rent. Maintain your properties and account for it. Truths. We got the truths. We got the truths. We got the big truths. A small business sponsored by SI Rent. Man. Woo. Who wrote that song? Wow. That's good stuff. Singing was iffy, but the lyrics were great. <laughs> You are on the Big Truths of Small Business Podcast, obviously sponsored by Yes I Rent, Welcome Property back. Management. This is Joe Watkins and Travis Castle coming to you with part two of Act Two. And we have a special guest that I'll introduce in a moment. Very special. But I need to know from Travis, what in the world are we talking about in Act Two? Because this was all his idea. Oh, man. Act Two is the is where you're at. Now, this is profound. I've been thinking about this question. I knew you would ask. Anybody that says it's profound? It is, excuse me, Jeff. It is following Act One, and this is the part prior to Act Three. Whoa. All right, it's act two. That you're welcome. That was unbelievable. You're welcome. So so for for you guys that didn't listen to the previous podcast, we called it act two because it, we believe in, in most plays and movies, you could probably break it up into act one, two, and three. So we thought what a cool thing to do is to look at your business and your life. We think most of the things we talk about of business actually applies very well back to life. And so we feel like that we're probably in act two personally and in business. And so let's just talk about what that means, what we've gleaned, how we can push some things back to act one. What is act one? And then maybe what it looks like moving into act three. And so in the context of that, I want to introduce to you our very special guest. His name is Randy Dodd, also known as Randall Arthur author a nationally recognized unbelievably critically acclaimed writer of christian novels that will challenge you randallauthor.com correct correct and uh he is here uh, thank you thank you thank you thank you all right he is here to help us investigate this idea of, of act two, because I think it comes from a very different angle of life and of business. And, 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 and maybe he can, can describe this better than me, but, but probably entering act three, if not in act three. So I think he can peer back on act two a little bit more than we can as we're in act two. So, so, so good friend of mine, Randy Dodd here is with us and uh, Randy appreciate you being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. And after that introduction, I think I need to read one of my books. <laughs> That's pretty. Randy, what was your, what was your, uh, when did you write your very first book and what year was it and why did you write it? Uh, the book was published in 1991. Uh, it was born not out of a long held desire to write a best selling novel, uh, but it was born out of a therapeutic need 
to put into writing uh, the things that I had learned and was learning as a very legalistic missionary. It was born out of a lot of pain. Mm. And I was uh, about 28, 29 when I began the writing of that novel. So, and what's the name of the novel? Wisdom Hunter. Wisdom Hunter. And so, just give about a three-minute, So, because I like folks to know sort of the angle and the perspective that you're coming from. Give, give a three or so minute synopsis about, you know, what you do, what your, what your, what your business has been. And, uh, and, and that'll help to understand the contribution here to the show. I've been a career missionary for 44 years. Um, for the first 22 years, I was a church planter in Europe, uh, founded and pastored three international churches, one in Oslo, Norway, one in Munich, Germany, and one in Berlin, Germany. Um, since that time, I've based my ministry out of Atlanta and I've been the European representative for a non-denominational mission agency. And in that role, I introduce Americans to the mission needs of Europe. I take uh, mission teams to that continent where we work alongside evangelical churches and hopefully encourage the pastors, inspire them, and encourage the congregations there. That's awesome. Well, Randy's been a, a great friend of mine for many years now, and we share the love of motorcycles and it has just been a real blessing in my life for the last, you know, 10 or 14 years or so to be able to be involved in our motorcycle uh, mission group where we travel the southeast, primarily of America, give a little back to, to different um, churches and towns and people in need as we do some, some projects here and there. And, but then we get, the men get together and we get to, to, to just be real at your leadership, which is a, a very relaxed style that allows for, um, I don't know, just a lot of great moments to surface. It's not forced. It's just, it, it's just allowed. Um, and so, so anyway, um, that's the, the introduction of Randy. We appreciate you being here and we're going to get into, uh, can I interrupt and say, yeah, thank yeah. you, Joe, for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, I've known Joe for 15, 16, 17 years. And, Joe is a very energetic, uh, creative uh, guy who's one of the most competitive men <laughs> I know, and uh, I'm sure that translates into his business life as well. C competitiveness is one of my traits. <laughs> well, Rand Randy, here's the interesting thing. Joe actually didn't want you on the show. Um, <laughs> the invitation was actually through Joe via me, so uh, let's, let's just clear that up. Very good, Travis. So, you know, kind of stumbling in here uh, after that comment, we're going to get into Act Two. <laughs> so I got, um, a, I, I got an Act Two question. All right. right. So, so you wrote a book when you were twenty-eight years old, right? You're uh, Wisdom Hunter. You're thirty-eight now. <laughs> uh, Randy doesn't. Re he, he's like Prince. He has uh, a symbol uh, 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 for his age. He doesn't. He doesn't discuss it. That's right. I stopped celebrating birthdays about twenty years ago. So okay. I have All no right. idea so how old. The I last am. birthday was 38, 20, 20 years ago. So when you look back, you wrote that very likely. Now I don't think Act One, Two, Three is about ages. Frankly, it's about seasons. I believe. So where would you say you were at? Uh, when you wrote that book, and based on where you're at now, what season of life you're in now, looking back, how do you feel about what you wrote? Well, I was transitioning from Act 1 to Act 2 when I wrote the book. 
Um, I had to dismantle everything I had been taught in Act One and start over at step one to decide what I really believed any longer. Uh, now I, because of my age, uh, I am in Act Three, <laughs> whether I want to be or not. Uh, but I look back and. When I wrote that book, I, I nailed my 95 thesis to the church door of this very legalistic uh, denomination, and I, I knew I would be excommunicated if I wrote the book, and it was published, and it was published, and it became a bestseller, and indeed I was fired and blacklisted among uh, about 6,000 churches in this denomination. I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting thing uh, that Randy. You know, he he. he what age did you decide you're going to be a missionary? Fifteen. So fifteen, he decides going to be a missionary. And in what in what age did you go to Norway? Uh, I'd been twenty three for three weeks. So you know, eight years later, he's in Norway mm. as a missionary. So he he decided he he got married young. And, and then they went. And then this book was written in, at 28 or so. And a lot took place in those five years that basically sort of said, wow, everything that I had learned in sort of, you know, 0.5 or act one, it, it, it's repositioned in my, mm -hmm. in my mind. Why? Because I've been exposed to something outside of this small paradigm that I, that I lived and grew up in. I've been exposed to the world of, of, of Christianity, mm -hmm. all the other cultures, all the other teachings. And it made me go rethink what I believe because they're challenging you, right? They're challenging you on what you were even teaching in church as you founded the international church in Norway. Well, when I went through Bible college, uh, I didn't realize it at the time. I only discovered this later looking back that I wasn't taught how to think, but I was taught what to think. Mm. And so I graduated as a parrot or an echo. And when I echoed what I thought were truths in this international environment in Norway with people from 30 different nations, uh, they very quickly challenged me. Uh, these were not yes people. Uh, they were high-positioned, uh, well-educated, well-traveled people, uh, worked with the embassies, the universities, with NATO, um, big international corporations. And so they weren't yes people. And they challenged mm. me on these things that I was echoing. And it took me a couple of years to realize that I was probably blind and uh, that I just wasn't teaching what was true. So what part of the U.S. did you grow up in? Uh, here in Georgia. You're in Georgia. Yeah. Okay. So at at so your entire life, and then at 23, you go to Norway. Yes. Wow. Uh, dramatic difference. Just if if you were just going for any reason, that's a huge uh, environmental change. Well, uh, when I surrendered to be a missionary, I've always been an adventurer at heart, and I really wanted to go where no other missionaries were going. Mm. So I thought I would end up somewhere in the Amazon mm. <laughs> uh, working with tribal people. Right. Uh, but when I went through Bible college, I was exposed to hundreds of missionaries during conferences. And I learned that uh, most of the missionaries I met were serving in South America, Central America, uh, Asia, India, 
Africa, uh, and that very few, to my astonishment, were serving in Europe. And the few that were, were in the Mediterranean countries, France, Italy, Spain. But I never met a missionary who was working in Switzerland or Austria, Denmark, Finland, Sweden, Norway, Iceland. Uh, so I, as a young man, not knowing anything about the cultures of these countries or their histories, really, decided that's where I want to go if no other missionaries are going there. And uh, I remember one day working uh, as a custodian for a Christian high school. I was in a, uh, a classroom where there was a globe. And I remember just st staring at this globe and just running my fingers around Scandinavia, the northern countries of Europe, and just stopped on Norway and said, all right, that's where I'm going. <laughs> uh, you know, if God opens the door, if nothing closes, that's where I'll go. Yeah. And, uh, and that's where I took my 19-year-old bride, and we moved to Norway, an Arctic country. From Georgia. Yeah, just, very cold. <laughs> and, and this is actually kind of something that I think comes up from time to time with different guys that have been sitting in your seat and just with different parts of their life. You know, sometimes the, uh, uh, how do you say it? Uh, I, I mean, honestly, I'm thinking young and dumb, but I'm not meaning that. You know what I'm talking about? You know, not not knowing, right? Can actually... It's green. It's green. <clears throat> sometimes when we know too much in Act 2... Uh, sometimes we get frozen by the what-ifs. Oh, wow. You're speaking of a very powerful, I guess, uh, learning from Act 1 that we could actually pull to Act 2, which is, hey, sometimes let's just go for it. Let's, let, let, let's don't overthink everything in the kitchen sink, and let's, and let's, let's go after our passion and our dream. I'll figure it out. And I'll figure the, it the, out. The, the, the 23 year old goes, you know what? I hear all that. You, you probably, well, let me ask you this. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. Did you have anybody in your life that went naysayers? Hey, hey you're crazy, Randy. Uh, my father. Okay. That's yes. very personal. Yes, it was. Uh, my mother wasn't uh, a strong supporter of this notion of us leaving a our country. Um, but I spent uh, a year and a half prior to our move to Norway traveling through a 15-state area, speaking in churches, raising uh, monthly support from these churches. And I can honestly say that as a young man, uh, it, was quite, it was quite exhilarating to stand before these congregations and say, <clears throat> you know, I'm going to Europe hmm. as a missionary. And I, I was always filled with excitement. And it was a dream. It was a fantasy that I, I just... It, it, it consumed me until the day we boarded uh, the jetway. And when we walked through the jetway to get on the plane, suddenly it's no longer a dream or a fantasy. This is real. Mm -hmm. And we had just said goodbye to our mm. mothers and fathers and siblings, thinking we might not ever see them again. Mm. And I'm not sure who routed our flight, but this was back in 1976. But we flew from Atlanta in December of 76. So we flew from Atlanta to Buffalo, New York, and landed in the middle of a, a snowstorm. And it was my first time to see snow. And I look out the window of the plane, and I see these snow drifts and the snowfall. And I'm thinking, 
and I'm going to an Arctic country? Maybe this wasn't a wise decision. And then we flew from Buffalo to Toronto, Canada. And by the time we reached uh, Canadian Air, I'm asking, do we really have to cross the ocean to be a missionary? You know, why can't we just get off the plane here in Canada? But then we flew from Toronto to uh, Amsterdam, Holland. For the first time, we were in the minority. We were the foreigners. All the signs were in a language we couldn't understand. Then we flew to Sweden and then into Oslo, Norway, and landed in the afternoon. Um, snow six feet deep. I mean, what's the temperature when you when you land there? Oh, probably on? 17 degrees mm. Fahrenheit. Mm. And I said all that to say this. For the first five nights, my wife, 19 years old, and I, we literally cried Sorry, ourselves. Sherry. Yeah, yeah sorry, Sherry. <laughs> we literally cried ourselves to sleep in each other's arms, thinking, What do we do? <laughs> this was a mistake. It was made out of youthful zeal, mm. young and dumb, mm. as you say. And we thought, we need to get on a plane and go back to America and go before all of our supporters and say, we didn't know what we were talking about. You know, we're too young for this. We're inexperienced. Maybe we should uh, stay here, develop some more experience, and then try again when we're a little older. We really wanted to get on the plane the next week and return. We didn't for one reason. Uh, we didn't have the money to buy tickets. <laughs> So, so let's, let's, let's pull that in. So that was clearly act one mm -hmm. of your life. You, you just, you just, you had a vision, you had a dream and you went after it. So you, you said you're in act three now. I would say you're in act two and three quarter to three because you, you were, you, you have a zeal for life that is very similar to act two. And a lot of times in act three, I don't see, but, um, you know, in the position you are now, you look back at that, and I'm, I'm guessing that there's probably no regrets that you made that decision. Oh, none, none. And that's the cool and, thing, and, right? Yeah, and, I, and if I could go back and stand on that jetway in December of 1976, knowing what I know now, would I walk through that jetway and get on the plane? Uh, I, I wouldn't hesitate for a second. Yeah, you'd, 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 you'd jump in a little bit quicker. because the, the most the, formative years of my life were the 10 years we lived in Norway. That's a, I mean, that's, for, for the young guys out there, you know, it's powerful to have a vision and not let the naysayers craft your life out. Well, you know, you and I today were talking about, um, folks that were in act one and kind of, uh, you know, in a, in a perfect world, if you could be a young guy, uh, but you kind of knew yourself, you knew your limitations, which is kind of what you were experiencing here. You were sort of, you were sort of figuring things out on the fly, but in the middle of making massive commitments, right? So for you, what was it that turned the corner? You had a, a you had an actual physical constraint here with money in terms of you know okay well I mean the reality is we we can't make this decision that we want to make right okay but at some point for you to have any success you had to go from there to well, let's do this yeah we're here you know I'm, I'm I'm here this is a set of circumstances we've kind of made our bed 
and you had a you had a mental shift. So t- talk a little bit about and, and that. And I want to say in the context of that, Randy, when do you believe with that in mind, did you shift into act two, which is, yeah, I'm, I'm here and I can do some business here. Again, when I went through Bible college, um, I was taught both directly and indirectly that our denomination had a monopoly on truth and that any Christian who believed differently, that they weren't just different, but they were absolutely wrong and blind. And we were not even allowed to fellowship with people from other denominations because they Mm. had compromised truth. So I went to Norway as a young man, very naive. And it's funny when I hear myself say this, but my wife and I really believed we were Norway's only hope Mm. in the spiritual sense. And that's what kept us. Uh, It was still from Act One. I embraced everything I had been taught. uh, And I wasn't intimidated by people. Even the the Norwegians, who now to me were new and foreign and strange, uh, my goal was to kind of bring them into my fold, help them to understand truth as I knew it, and watch as their lives were changed gloriously, and they were uh, lifted to our standard of living. Um, So when I learned that most Norwegians could speak English— uh, even though I was going to uh, classes to learn Norwegian, I started communicating in English very quickly yeah. and reaching out and, and uh, trying to evangelize. I know, Randy, uh, in a way, and I, I'm curious, Randy, if, you, if, if, this is, if this was you back in your 20s, early 30s, I'm, 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 I'm almost positive that it is, but I want to give the, uh, the motorcycle sort of vision of what I believe Act two and act one really should pay attention to. And I think maybe, maybe act one, there, there, there's much more naivety there. And so um, there's, there's a bigger trap here, but I think act two also struggles. I can say it personally. So, and, and Randy's helped me here. And so let's, we'll use it in the context of motorcycles. So we go on these trips and uh, we, we just came back here about six weeks ago from a, uh, what, 10-day trip, Randy? And uh, r- me and Randy always leave early, a couple of days early. And there's a meeting point at which we meet the rest of the motorcycle crew. And this year there was about 13 to 15 guys that were going to show up at various times in the meeting spot in the middle of Kentucky. And, and, and me and Randy left early because we really appreciate this journey that occurs between Atlanta, Georgia, or Stockbridge, Georgia, and Kentucky. We, th- there's, this, there's this process of just, of just going, not having everything figured out, and, and, and taking in the experiences that occur on what was a two-day journey to Kentucky. There's a large part of the group that says, I'm going to Kentucky, I'll see you on Sunday at five and I'll leave at Sunday at eight o'clock in the morning and we'll hightail it to Kentucky. And there's this destination mentality 
sort of throughout some of these guys. And, and so what I've appreciated uh, with Randy, and it's really helped me because I've been a destination guy. And I think, I, I think a lot of people early who are, who are trying, hey, I want to, I want to, I'd love to have a Lamborghini one day. You know, and, and, and there, that, that's a destination, but what, what is the journey to get there? Or, you know, in, in this case, um, the experience after we get to Kentucky was cool. But wow, the experience on the way to Kentucky was just as cool or even more cool. And so the journey, I think, is what I'm learning in Act 2 that I so wish I had learned in Act 1 is, is powerful. That I've, I've missed the journey in a lot of ways when it comes to my kids probably age 0 to 10. I missed some of that journey because I was, I was looking way out here. I was looking at where these goals and were set, and I wasn't there yet, and so I'm, I'm bypassing. And and Randy's helped me slow it down a little bit, and even even um, with with mannerisms on the motorcycle, he leads the group, and I like to get behind him because he's he's driving along, and he's you know he's you know he's you know fanning his hand to the left, and I'm going, what is he doing? Oh, it's a, it's a cool set of cows out there. I never would have thought that at 95 miles an hour. Maybe I should slow down to see the cows. There's cows in America. Well, this is, this is indicative of, of the difference in Act 1 and Act 2, and I think why we did this podcast and while we've sat here for two episodes now and, and, and kind of trying to help people figure it out is, you know, when you have kids, and, and which, which I've shared with you, and, you know, Joe's kids, our kids are about the same age roughly, and what they don't know, what's interesting that they don't know, and you can't convince them of it, is that, uh, you know, so I've got my, uh, Cole down, my son, uh, who has uh, been out of work for the COVID thing. You know, he, had a, he got a job at the gym literally days before they shut Georgia down. He was getting, you know, he was, he was so pumped, and they called him and said, hey, gym shut down. Sorry, you got no job. Boom, he's sitting there. Man, through this whole time, what do I do? I hate this. Hey, Cole, the car wash is still going. <laughs> the car well, it is now. It is now. So uh, anyway, I, I've tried to convince him that this point in your life, you got some time to do some stuff. You do. You're going to get real soon here. You know, school starts back in the fall. You'll be working. It's going to be 100 miles an hour. It's not right now. He has this anxious level of, oh, I'm so bored. You know, I got to do something right now. I got to figure it out right now. This time. And, and, you know, when we're, we're around our kids that are 18, 19, 20 years old, what we know is, boy, man, so quick, we're going to blink an eye and they're going to be gone, literally not sleeping here anymore, not thinking much about here anymore when they wake up during the day. But we can't convince them that that's going to be the case. To slow down this weekend, let's enjoy the time we got together. Let's enjoy the dinner. You know, I told you we went whitewater rafting on a Sunday, just, just all, I mean, you know, but, but what made it so much better for me is the knowledge sitting in the middle of act two, that we're not going to get a whole lot more whitewater rafting, you know, some, some, somebody pops out a kid or gets married or moves away for college. There's not going to be a whole lot more Sundays of whitewater rafting. So, but, but convincing yourself at, you know, with your journey here, early on that that's the case to be able to enjoy it oh it's early is that's kind of a hard thing to do it's kind, it, kind of hard to convince anybody that well i mean true. i couldn't i couldn't convince myself yeah. uh i mean i've been teaching my kids their entire life 
how to prepare for act two. Right. I haven't been teaching them how to live in the journey of act one. Right. What a shame. Yeah. I've had real conversations with them lately about this. Yeah. And I've apologized for it. But but the truth is that, uh, you know, we will all be learning for as long as we live. We will. You know, I, th- I think uh, living is, is an adventure of trying to find that balance of, uh, enjoying the journey and what is true. And, you know, I think we swing to the right, swing to the left, and we're constantly it's trying about to calibrate and, and, and learn. Yeah. And that's why you're offering the podcast, right? To impart these insights. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's, it's, it's about really uh, discovering some truths here, uh, about, you know, about life and about business. And, and we've been talking a little bit more about life here, but it's so applicable to business. Do, do you find uh, in the business world that men tend to uh, stumble uh, at the beginning of Act Two? Uh, I, I ask that because when I transitioned from Act One to Act Two, I was in Norway. It was about year three when uh, this transition began for me. And at that point, I realized that a lot of things I had been taught just were not true. Mm. And I remember standing as a young pastor looking at my library one afternoon. Uh, it was, a, it was a, a library with about 100 books. And I just gazed at the author's names. And I realized that every one of these authors had grown up in my denomination and yet it was this denomination that had taught me what I now believed were exaggerations and untruths. And I decided I didn't need to be taught by these men anymore. I didn't need to read their commentaries, uh, their how-to books. And in a moment of somewhat anger, I, I took all of those books out to a burn barrel and I burned all of those books <laughs> and for the next 13 years uh, the only three books I had in my library uh, was uh, a Bible uh, a Young's Concordance and a Vine's Expository Dictionary and I had vowed that I must learn how to think I must, I must learn how to study uh, and I vowed that I would never, as a pastor, preach another man's sermons or echo another leader. Uh, and so I entered into that second act really determined to learn. Uh, but then, as a, as a believer, I swung way to the left over the next three to four years and, and really stumbled in life. Kind of lost my mooring. You know? mm. And what do I believe? Who am I now? And, uh, yeah, but what you, what you did was the right thing, which is you're, 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 you're using your time to investigate what you believe rather than just echoing somebody else's belief. Right. And so, you know, in this time of, of some pretty crazy times that we're in here and, 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 you know, call it June of, of 2020, um, what I feel like we're seeing all over is a lot of young people who don't know exactly what they believe. And uh, I've been echoing this song. I think it's a great song. If you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. 
And so what, what you were trying to do is figure out what did you stand for? What, what, what is this all about? And so I, I think that's important on the journey of, of act two, I think is where you really start to, to put a stake in the ground and say, okay, you know, I've been told all of this my entire life. Now I'm trying to get on the other side of what I've been told. I'm trying to figure out what I actually believe. And I'm putting a stake in the ground. And now I feel confident in who I am and what I believe. And I think that that begins a real healthy move forward in, in, in Act 2. Well, that's the cool thing I think about Act 2 is you've got some evidence from Act 1 as far as, you know, the age-old question, right? What is truth, right? So Act 1 is a lot about perhaps thinking you know the truth and, and, and basically arrogantly, arrogantly thinking, maybe. you know, the truth yeah, oftentimes, maybe, yeah. but, but the, uh, you know, the, the term you use all the time, act two is kind of a hindsight deal here. How did that work out for me? You know, was that the truth? Uh, did I apply it correctly? So you've kind of got what are the, my biases. You sort of got these outcomes that you're able to learn from, which is kind of the, the cool part of being an act two. It's the hopeful part of act two. You know, I don't think Act 2 means that you're done in any way. In no. fact, I think it's the exact opposite. I think you're taking those huge journey, that lab experiment of Act 1 and, and deciding at this point, hey, look, from, from all my experience, from, from all the times I thought I knew the truth and, and was executing on what I just, you could not convince me, what was the result? What was the fruit of that? What, what came of that? And I can kind of take that learning now and I can start going on Act 2 with it. We talk about, I mean, let's just apply it realistically to you're running a business and you have employees and you're trying to get them to a performance level. Maybe there's a measured level of performance. I think in a lot of businesses there are. And so that's the goal. Uh, what we fail to realize a lot of times as business owners is that those are human beings and they're in a continuum of their process and, and what I've been kind of, kind of a big exposure to me in the last many years is human beings are searching desperately for significance. We just want to be significant in some way. And, and, and so early on, what do we do to be significant? We, you know, maybe we go buy an expensive car we can't afford. Um, you know, maybe we, uh, uh, we put facades on. We put, <laughs> what nobody can see. We put facades on. Is there's a beautiful car sitting a hundred feet from us? Let's see, I can right, afford Joe? that car. No, I didn't say you could. Let's, I'm let's just saying. <laughs> Randy's laughing in a mocking way, almost of you right now, and I just want to let everybody. I, know. That's all. See, I was I okay. I bought a, I bought a nice car. <laughs> I, I bought a fast. You did fast, <laughs> nice. Car. That's nice. What kind I of car? I didn't buy it at 22. You did not. You did That's not. true. That's right. I bought it at 45. Well, I, and I would say, in, in fact, you know, all, all joking aside, that that car interrupts your life in in zero way other than for the positive. And, and, and I think a lot of, and again, I got a 19 turning 20 man, and he wants. <laughs> he lives in Peachtree City. He said to me last. He wants that car. Don't Hope he? he's not listening. No, no, no. He lives in Peachtree City. So he said, Dad, it is ridiculous. To live in Peachtree City without a golf cart. <laughs> I mean, he, he looked at me stone cold sober and said, I mean, it's just, 
That's just incredible. Like, this, that is, I live this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's not what you did. You know, you I didn't. didn't you so, didn't so, but, you know, and so, you know, there's a, there's an appropriate time and place for all this. And, um, I just, I, I lost my total point here. You, well, you derailed I, me completely. I, I think we got to a much better point, which is it, that's appropriate. You know, that car is appropriate. If you're in the right spot in Act Two, that car can be crippling in Act One. In Act One, if you're buying it, you know, and 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 it's and that car means that you're the guy or you're the man or you're buying it for your buddies. To you know, there's all kind of different reasons that you might buy that in Act One versus Act Two. Right. Would you guys say that Act Two is the longest of the three? Acts? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and because it is the longest. Uh, you know, I think it's totally unpredictable. We can definitely, and many people do learn from Act 1. They learn from their mistakes. But even if you learn and try to restructure and rebuild your life, Act 2 is such a long period of time, decades, that you know, it's just unpredictable. You know, what will we do? Uh, I find that most midlife crisis, of course, that's why it's called midlife, it occurs in Act 2. No question. Because, you know, you rebuild and you think, okay, now I've found a balance and, and now here's my new goal and you work hard and you achieve that goal and suddenly everything you've dreamed about, it, it's there. You've achieved it and now the challenge is gone and you tend to coast Right. And then you enter into a midlife crisis. That's right. Are you are you saying I'm in a midlife no, crisis? No, I don't know. Maybe? Are you? <laughs> now, are you, if, are you if, saying I just entered into that if, last week if, with this car? If he shows up next week with the red version of that, yeah. <laughs> we'll have another podcast. A, a pair of them. <laughs> yeah, I gotta get a pair of guys. Right. Yeah. No, we don't want to do that. <clears throat> no, it's it's uh, it's it's very true though. It, it's it it is the longest part, and, and I think I've, I've had this question and, asked. Yeah. No, but it's a very precarious uh, act. I mean, uh, the, the ice is slippery, really, in act. Two. Well, what is it? It's, it's let's talk about plays here. It's the conflict. It's the climax. It's uh, uh, even the resolution. A lot of times hap happens in act two, because um, I, I view act three is it's the moral of the story. In the movie it's the moral of the story it's the legacy in your life you're now looking back figuring out what your legacy is going to be it's the result of the first two yeah. acts yeah and so so you're you're i mean you're 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 you you've, you're, you've dreamed in act one you've 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 you're figuring it out but in act two you're you're executing fell and executing fell and executing fell and executing fell and gain a little insight execute fell execute fell gain a little insight and this is over and over again and then major conflicts happen, you know, kids. And conflicts, by the way, are not all bad. They're just challenging. It's marriage. It's kids. It's new jobs. It's moving. It's, it's all those major crises. These usually happen here in Act 2. Um, and, uh, and that's where most business people are in their small business in their most thriving years are going to be Act 2 
Well, this is where you got to make it. Let's talk about what I think you're hitting on, because I see this time and time again. I would even tell you that this has scared me with guys that I know uh, that have been small business guys, or frankly, not just small business, but mostly small business guys. Is they get into act to you know middle life crisis or whatever you want to call it. But I think what's happening, like right now in Act Two, is kids are graduating, kind of getting out of the house a little bit. Relationship is perhaps changing at home. You know, your empty nesters or some hybrid version of that. And that business or that that career that you were you were trying to to get everything out of to kind of feed the family, pay the mortgage, get you know get things taken care of. Maybe you've sort of satisfied that piece, and, and in your mind, that was the driving factor in your business. Well. Well, that factor has now kind of been removed to a degree. So, so what happens when that factor gets removed, then we start introducing new things to that, right? And I think, I think that's where the danger is. And again, it's 2020. I don't even, frankly, I don't even know what we can talk about anymore. But, you know, we, we both know as guys our age that a lot of time men specifically, that's the only version I can speak of here uh, fr- from this, um, make poor choices when they try to begin to substitute or often do substitute a new purpose that is exhilarating, right? I mean, this could be a purchase, a a purchase that's an unfounded purchase for a person in in this, this place, or, you know, frankly, um, relational problems at home that begin to be substituted. What I'm saying is in your, in your act two, early in your act two, a lot of small businesses just go away. Through poor decision making, trying to create a new purpose around why I'm doing this and who I am yeah. in life, right? And yeah. I think that's kind of what you're alluding to. Yeah. I uh, I rebuilt what I thought was my belief system, and felt that I had uh, found a balance, and started moving ahead with a lot of new excitement, and built a a church that began to flourish. Uh, We had intended to plant a church just for the Norwegian people, but the church became multinational, and we're working with people from 40 different countries. And it's just uh, an exciting environment, and people are sparring intellectually and discussing and debating, but in a civil way, and it was just so enjoyable. And everybody was thriving, and I was able to mobilize seven or eight men you know, into ministry. Uh, they left their positions with their companies and with NATO and uh, went into full-time ministry. And I felt, you know, I've, I've achieved something great here. And right in the middle of that fruitful ministry, I lost my heart for everything that was good, for being a missionary anymore, for being a a father, for being a husband, uh, even for being, you know, a good American citizen. Um, Suddenly I I wanted to run away, uh, move to another country, take on a new identity, chase dreams, and try to find something new. It was a it was a scary time, and I, I think I see that in the business world with a lot of men. One hundred percent. Yeah, we, we we hit we hit some some major roadblocks and challenges, and there's a, there's a decision that's ahead of you right there. It's it's do I 
am I doing the right thing? Do I press through, press forward, figure it out? Or is this, or is this, is this, is this something God or, or some other, is this something telling me I'm not doing the right thing? Let me look over here now. It's an easy thing to do. It's an easy thing to do to, and I, and I think the problem with this is, is we externalize so often our problems, right? So we, we talk about this, you know, this is the big truths of small business. Our, our intent here is that, that we're talking a lot more about you, the individual, probably than we are the business. Yeah. Because in small business, it's you, the individual. It's the yeah. guy running the show, the girl running the show that has to be the one that, 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 that is the leader that's figuring this thing out. And so if you are the, the biggest weakness in the business, speed of the leader is the speed of the pack. The, 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 the worst or the, the lowest hanging or the lowest, uh, uh, I can't think of what I want to say here, but the, 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 the weakest link in any business is the weakest link, and that's going to be the, the foundation. And a lot of times, it's the, it's the business owner. Sure it is. So what we're talking about here is is it being truthful with yourself. Well, I, I, Being surrounded by people that are help you be truthful with yourself. I mean, I think this is a biblical concept. And now, now, now again, you've kind of got to discern, you know, what is wise counsel. But I believe bringing wise counsel in is something that, uh, especially small business guys who have most decisions that they've made – they're the only ones in the room when the decision's made, right? And a lot of times it's the right decision. I mean, I've been around a lot of guys and I've asked, well, how do you know that you're, how do you know that this decision, this directional change, how do you know that it's right? And the, the, the answer is, well, Randy, I've always been right. <laughs> okay. So, but what we know is you're not going to always, you know, nobody bats a thousand, right? So bringing in, you know, in act two, bringing in wise counsel, now, this is perhaps where we can go steal guys that are enter entering Act 3 as guys from Act 1 That's are kind, doing of, right now. kind of pulling yeah. on us. Yeah, so 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 bringing in that counsel, and, uh, you know, you guys did this for me recently, and, you know, you, you know, I throw out, hey, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm feeling. When I say this, what do you hear, right? Those questions to, to uh, you know, in our situation here, especially kind of a godly man or somebody that is looking at it from that perspective, then they can yield advice, uh, that is why, and, and so what happens is when you start hearing the same advice from the good advisor over and over and over, and they're echoing it, say, so, you know, man, that's what the small business guy or the guy. I mean, we're we're again pointing this at small business and decision making a lot of our conversations, but that's what I didn't do so well in Act One. For me, Act One was about you know what this is right. I know it's right. I don't need I don't need any counsel. You know, because the reality is I'm probably smarter than you, Randy, and you, Joe, certainly Joe. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and make the decision. Frankly, it's there's less stress in it just being me making the decision, you know. So in, in your terms here, I'm curious. One thing that's been on my mind since you've described your situation from a standpoint of uh, a Georgia boy moving to Norway <laughs> uh, after visiting, you know, dozens of churches and, and, and going on this adventure and then realizing, eh, okay, I might need to tweak this. In terms of knowing your audience, I just got to ask this fun, this kind of fun question. The Norwegians, what, what, what did you just not know that now, if you had a guy sitting over here that was about to go do what you were going to do in 1976, you'd pull him aside and go, you know, you need to know this about your, your audience, your audience, your customer. What, what, what is it? Uh, when I went to Norway, 
uh, I met other American families who were living there, working with uh, international corporations, and uh, you know they were very quick to tell me that the Norwegians are very hard-hearted uh, in the spiritual realm, and you'd never be able to to reach them. Um, oddly enough, I, I I didn't allow that to stop me or intimidate me. I'm thinking, oh yeah, I can. And, uh, you know, I, I worked hard at discovering their strong points or weak points. And I learned that the Norwegians are very reserved. And, you know, if you as a foreigner coming from another Western country stand on the street corner and you wait for some Norwegian to come up and welcome you to their country, uh, you know, you would die of old age <laughs> because not they're happen. not going to do it. But I learned that if I take the initiative to engage Norwegians in conversation, uh, you know, they'll quickly uh, open their arms and reciprocate and become great friends. Uh, so I learned that very quickly up front, and uh, I pushed that, and I built on that. That, that and, reminds me of, of, so I had a conversation yesterday, a uh, uh, lengthy one actually, after we went and looked at motorcycles. Um, for about an hour in the parking lot w with a stage oneer. Joe, do you just look at motorcycles and, and hot rod cars all day? Is this, what, <laughs> is this why I can't get you sometimes when I call you? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> it's all right. You're right, too. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, the, the conversation was interesting. Um, uh, we were talking about uh, sort of uh, this – this idea of setting these goals way out in advance and having preconceived notions about that. And what I was, what I was wanting to convey to him was don't, don't lose the act that you're in. Cause the question was, can I skip, basically skip act one or, or move faster through act one? And I guess supposedly you can. You can be different people at different ages or in different acts. But what's interesting about in Act 2, what I've learned is it's, the, it's like the opposite of what you're looking for. You're looking for being able to sort of slow down and, and, and grasp everything that's going on in each of these places. And I don't know, it was, it was pretty impactful to me. Uh, with, with a guy that was reaching out. And so, so then he began to say, well, well, well what do I need to be doing to, 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 to make the right decisions here in Act 2? And I thought, wow, what's so cool about that is you're doing it right now. You're, 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 you're asking questions. You're, you're educating yourself. You're listening to guys you appreciate that, 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 you know, that are who you want to be and, like that's what you should be doing. Doesn't mean you can be there tomorrow, but it, but but that's the process. But don't give up the don't give up the the experiences that you're going to have over the next many years to get there. But what you're doing is the right thing. Right. It, it was kind of cool. It was kind of cool conversation. I, I think that goes in one of the things that I I stand on and and uh, tell people in these types of conversations a lot is I think God, from from what I can see, part of His plan. Here is is moving all of us towards humility because I, I feel like he can do something with us in a humble state of mind 
And Act One, a lot of times to me, is about creating that humility. I think you you've described it in your story, certainly, uh, where there was just, you know, and I think everybody's got versions of that where there is an assumption made, there's an important point probably skipped that might might should have been considered, and it's really coming out of a sense of, um, you know, really frankly, a bit of a lack of understanding perhaps is true, but also a lack of humility. And and, and I think that some of the failures that 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 people experienced in Act One, I think some of the differences now between what type of Act Two you're going to have is how you interpret them, right? So, I mean, I think Act 1 is about healthy failures for the most part. Not that that's every experience, but if that's driving you towards humility, which is putting you in a position to now I'll ask questions of folks that are on down the road from me, and I'll, I'll listen to the answers, and, and I'll try to take and learn from that. Well, now that humility is really building me and pushing me off into an Act 2 that I can do something with now. Now, we all know guys that kind of should be in Act 2. Again, I don't think it's age-related, who frankly just sort of stay in Act 1. They do. You know, and that's uh Well, they don't execute. I mean, execute is in Act 2. Yeah. You, you've laid out some 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 goals and some dreams. I mean, Act 2, got to execute on some of this stuff. Like, it didn't happen by itself. you got to execute. Yeah. And you, gotta, you may fail at it, but then you gotta, you got to do it again. You got to learn from the failure and do it again. You got to well, execute. And, and that's part of act two is understanding the failure is not the end. No. You know, failing at a project or a business or a mission trip or, or whatever it may be, or even planning a church that, that, that ends, you know, uh, prematurely. That's just, uh, you know, you're, that, that's all, that's an experience now that, that that's, that's a, a springboard to reinventing yourself or doing it again or tweaking or figuring out why it failed. Um, you know, kind of doing the, uh, let's, let's use a golf example. Yeah. I'd love that. I think that, that sports are so powerful in, in examples of life and business. But so let's talk about golf in, in, in sort of, I believe, is right in the, in the heart of Act 2. This is, I'm a 25, you know, been playing golf for 25, 30 years. And it's, it's so interesting how golf sort of represents so closely my personal and business life experiences. And so, so one of the things that we've talked about, Travis, in golf, and this is, I think this is very true about business, is do, do a fantastic pre-shot routine. And we're going to do a podcast it's on a podcast. this. It is a podcast, but we're going to give them a little piece of it. What is a pre-shot routine in golf? If you're on a green, it's, it's spending the, the two or three minutes to go around on all sides of that hole and identifying the slopes, the angles, the grain of the grass, everything about the fault line, the fault line, the fault line of that green to, to identify everything you can input to your brain. What is going to happen with this ball? Okay. That import the data, import data. You've, you've, Hopefully you've done some technical training, whether it be YouTube or some people that you, that you trust to help you with an appropriate, uh, you know, holding of that club and, and stroking of the putt. I'm going to make an assumption for now that you can stroke a putter. But the data input in the pre-shot routine is absolutely critical. And the more we replicate that, the better we putt. But here's the very powerful part. Travis, it changed your putting in the last many months. 
it's changed my game in the last many years. The, the powerful part is, is, is once you've imported this data, you, you're not Tiger Woods, and you're okay with that, but you can't expect a Tiger Woods outcome. All I can do is import the data on how the best way I know how. Get in front of that ball with the data I have and stroke that putt. And the power is wherever it goes, it goes. You can't will it in the hole. You can't make it go in the hole. You can't get excited to make it go in the hole. You can't get angry and make it go in the hole. All you can do is stroke the putt and let it roll. And it's, it's either going to go in or it doesn't. Now, the more prepared you are and the more practiced you are, it's going to go in the hole a lot more often. But even the best in the world can stand over a three-footer and miss it. Well, and miss it twice. Here's the point. Let me finish my point. My point is this. You got to be okay with the result. Act two is you got to be okay with the result. And that result ain't always in the hole. What do you do? You go, either A, my data could have been wrong. B, maybe I didn't have the, the, the time and attention and practice to execute the stroke. Could have been wrong. Well, how about this one? Three, it just didn't go in. It wasn't my time. It wasn't my opportunity. And luck plays into it too. And you gotta, you gotta, you gotta move on. And that is powerful to me. It's powerful in sports. It's powerful in, in business. I, I think anybody working at a high level of anything is, for the most part, operating in a system or a routine of some type. Man, now, now you hear so much about you know internet, social media guys that are kind of motivational or self help type guys talk so much about morning routines. What's your morning routine? You know, well, here's the morning routine of the top 50 CEO. You know, you, you hear all this stuff now. Well, maybe the reality is it really is true. I mean, often uh, successful people are waking up in and around the same time. When they wake up, mm. they're either, you know, working out. Nugget here. Some type of prayer, routine. Some type of journal. Um, whatever it may be, it's the same thing it was yesterday. It's really preparing them mentally, physically, and you know, a real crude example is, you know, your your dog. You want to get your dog off schedule? Or you want to get your dog really pissed off, get him off schedule. <laughs> right? You, you want a good dog? You want a happy dog? Keep keep him on schedule. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that's kind of what this is. What is it that makes you the best when you get into the office? It's probably not going to be different from that. It's probably going to be the same from day to day. And, and, and let me add on to this and say, guys, and we talk about this a lot, uh, if you're not willing to do a routine, that's okay too. But don't don't try to put your golf results next to Tiger Woods when he spent four or five hours every single day on a routine with an eating regiment, a putting regiment, uh, a chipping regiment. Don't try to measure your results against Tiger Woods when you're not willing to do the input. And that's okay if you're not willing to do input. The the the, uh, the not okay part is. You're comparing the results, and you can't, and it's okay. So we got to be real with what it is we're trying to do and why, and, and don't hold up the very best in the world all time all the time as our as our example. Man, that that's something you you talked about a little bit earlier was all the competing Randy, all the competing voices that are 
there now. I mean, frankly, if I have a uh, presupposition about something, in minutes I can dial you up three quote-unquote experts that will support me and speak about that, how true that presupposition is. Which, so, is, which is very scary. Wow. That is frightening. Talk, talk about that, because you, you've gotten passionate about this lately, Randy, that, that yeah, that what is an expert? What, what, even, what does that even mean today? Well, I think many experts are self-proclaimed experts. Uh, they we are. Believe, <laughs> they believe that they have the answers. Um, it's amazing to me that um, you, know, you can bring up any subject, and if it's a science subject, you can line up 10 scientists. Uh, they all look at the same evidence that you're looking at. Uh, they all examine it. And they all come to conclusions that might differ from one another. And even though they're all experts with the same degrees, they'll stand there and argue with one another and point fingers and say, you know, how can you come to this conclusion when? And the other says, well, you're an idiot. You know, can't you admit this? Aren't you seeing what I see? Um, I... Uh, I think because I went through Bible college and I just blindly believed all the experts that at some point I lost my trust in experts. Uh, and I, I'm at a point in my life where I question everybody's uh, advice or conclusions. <laughs> I'm not saying I ignore, but, but I do question the validity. Well, I think you should. Yeah, I question the validity. Um, and I think it's very dangerous just to blindly believe someone just because they have the title of expert or someone else says they are an expert. And in this society and culture, I think it, it, it's more powerful than ever to don't just don't just hear what you hear on social media and everywhere else and and, and, and believe it. I mean, it it very well may be very strongly politically motivated, may even be bought and paid for yeah. what you heard. I think the leaders that I respect the most, whether they be uh, in education or the business world or in uh, Christendom uh, or in politics, the leaders who I respect the most are those who look at the evidence and they allow it to lead them to its conclusion. Uh, but most leaders, it seems from my experience in life, and I've been there as well, you know, we, we have our presuppositions and we look at the evidence and we reshape it to support what we already believe. Oh, I think that's a, and, um, that's powerful, Travis. It's probably the, the, the cap off of the show. And, it, and it's that it goes back to our biases podcast here that, that it goes back to why we even do this show guys, that if you're not seeking the real truth. Now, again, we, what does the real truth mean? Well, it comes through a lot of, a lot of investigation and dialogue. That's what we're doing here. We don't proclaim to have the truth. We just proclaim to seek the truth. And so if, if we're not doing that, then we're, you know, and we're lazy and we're, you know, we don't look at our own biases of how we may grab a hold of something 
to be true just because we want it to be true. If we're not paying attention to all this stuff, then we're liable to completely lie to ourselves about a lot of things, our business, our marriage, our kids, our friends. Okay. So we're just here to, to, to just be real. P- part of, you know, my, my getting to love Randy way back when was in a sermon he preached uh, at our church uh, as a guest preacher uh, 15 years ago or so. And it was about just pulling the mask off. It was about, you know, can we not be walking around with facades all the time to give basically your, 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 the, the people you're around what they want to see is sort of what it was he talked about. Why, why do we walk around always trying to put on a mask of what you want to see rather than give who we are? And, and uh, I think real, real, I think real, I think, I think stage three or, or act three really reveals and I'm not in act three. I'm trying to conceive of this. But I think what it reveals is that relationships and realness and truth is, is really what life's about. And all the masks that we put on to try to shape our own truth and cover our own biases and our own, you know, you know failures are, are, are potentially harmful. To not just us, but others, and so I, th- I think that's you know I think that is the, the, sort of the foundation of the podcast, Travis. Well, I'm in agreement with that. I mean, I think that um, when somebody identifies with you emotionally, right? So if if Randy, if you told me today you thought the Bulldogs were going to go this year, they're going to go 11 and 0, win the national championship, I feel good about you, right? I'm a Bulldog fan. I want that to be true. Well, if you're going to tell me that that's true what I want to be true, then, man, you're my expert. I will crown you a college football expert because I'm a Bulldog fan. So I think, I think that's the thing, the reoccurring theme that I've seen in my life that I can speak for. If I want something to be true and I've got an expert telling me that, yeah, that's true, you're right. By the way, I've got books and tapes for sale back here and I've got a program you can subscribe to on my website. But what you believe to be true, it's true. You know, I think one of the things we could do in the podcast, maybe uh, in future podcasts, is sort of begin to kind of because because there are um, characteristics to experts who are espousing truth, and I think there's two types. There's the one that really believes what they're saying, right? I mean, honestly, that's kind of a dangerous guy. He believes to his toes what he's saying through maybe all the reasons you did or or we all have. Uh, Then there's the guy who really doesn't believe what he's saying. He's making money off of what he's saying. That's right, and that, that, that's where you got to be careful. And there, but there's some there, there there's some 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 things that happen. I, I think each time that uh, can be predictive that you're not really listening to the truth. So I think that'd be something we could explore. Maybe maybe bring Randy back to explore that if we could convince him after all this. <laughs> maybe you could pick him up in your sports car. We did. De- <laughs> we definitely could explore it. Randy, could you could you give the audience? Um, where they can find your books. Cause I believe your books are a journey of seeking truth. I think that's what's so mirroring to our podcast. Where can they find your books? Uh, Amazon.com or Randall Arthur, A R T H U R.com. And there's how many books total? Uh, five novels, 
one children's book and one nonfiction. Okay. Do you have any final thoughts here? Yeah. I'd like to say one thing in closing to a particular group of businessmen. You know, if you're an act two and uh, you have, you know, entered into, you, you've come through that phase of rebuilding and you're strong and now you're seeing success in your company, your bank account is filled and you think, uh, you know, there's no more challenge ahead of me, really. I, I'm just coasting now. Uh, if you're entering into what you feel like as a midlife crisis where, <laughs> where you might fear, you know, making wrong decisions, I want to encourage you to find a, a business coach who maybe is an older man who is maybe in Act 3, who's been through this uh, whole journey of act two and he can listen to you someone that you know is not going to jeopardize your career your leadership your reputation someone who you can really pull your mask off with and be totally honest uh you know you can even if you have to pay them uh you know pay them for their confidentiality um listen to them and I think a life coach sometimes can help get us through these uh, these trails that are uh, have a lot of risks and potential dangers. Uh, I know my wife is a life coach for missionaries, and she's used her 40 years of experience in Act 2 to now turn to these uh, young people who are coming out of Act 1 or in the early stages of Act 2, and she's coaching them. Uh, she speaks the language. She knows it. And it's amazing the number of missionaries who send her letters, phone calls, emails, saying, you, know, you saved my career. You saved my marriage. You saved my ministry. You saved my relationship with this uh, team. Uh, you helped me see what I would not have seen otherwise had I been walking alone you know, in seclusion. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, she's told constantly. Mm. So if there's a businessman out there who's alone and um, you know, you're, you're fearing this midlife turmoil, this crisis, I, I urge you to reach out to uh, a life coach, someone older who can walk you through and encourage you to make good absolutely. decisions. Yeah. If you're in, and if you're in Act 1, look look to the guys in Act 2 and 3. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's powerful. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Travis. Thank you, man. We have... We got the truth. We got the truth. Well, he's tried to. We got the truth. A small business. We got the truth. We got the truth. We got the big truths of small business. Sponsored by Yes I Rent. Yes I Rent. Yes I Rent. Property management. Replace good tents and collect your rent. Maintain your properties and account for it. Truth. We got the truth. We got the truths. We got the big truths. Small business sponsored by SIREN. Come back, see us, subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, tune in. 
Yesirent.com. Yes, Thank you, buddy. guys.